Welcome back, my friends, to the Shema Podcast. You know, I'm turning 52 next month. I don't feel like an old guy, although there are moments when I feel aged. And those are the moments when I seem to think I have the perfect line, the perfect line from an 80s movie to drop into a conversation to get a chuckle. And it quickly makes me realize my age. I'll give you an example. Not too long ago, I was meeting with a younger financial advisor. He was describing me his client situation, and he was going into death in the, to his client's business. And when he was done talking, I thought it'd be perfect to drop a movie line from the 80s, The Jerk, with Steve Martin. And when he was done talking, describing the intricacies of his client's business, I said, ah, it's a profit deal. And the guy just looked at me perplexed. And he said, in a very condescending manner, yeah, man, that's just sort of how business works. I said, no, 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 the jerk. And he goes, man, I'm not trying to be a jerk. That's just sort of implicit on how business works. I said, no, 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 Steve Martin. He's like, Who, who's Steve Martin? At that point, I got frustrated and just said, let's just, let's just move along. Well, I'm going to drop another 80s show reference. I'll give some background, though. Because this is something that sort of applies to what I'm struggling with right now. There was a TV show in the 80s called America's Greatest Hero. And in this TV show, this mild-mannered high school teacher, as he's traveling out into the desert, is encountered with an alien spaceship. And the alien beings bring him this package. And the package contains a suit that when worn would give him these tremendous superpowers. And in that first episode, he loses the manual. And so the episodes unfold where his cohort, which I believe was an FBI agent, who was encouraging him to put on the suit and use those superpowers to help him solve crimes with nefarious criminal enterprises, the main character did not want to put on the suit because he did not know how to harness the powers. So every time he put it on, just destruction would ensue. And there'd be comedic outcomes as a result. He'd be flying into walls, blowing up things. It was one thing after another as he was learning through trial and error how to harness and operate the powers of this suit. In the end of every episode, he would end up getting the bad guy. But throughout the series, he never wanted to really put it on. He was afraid. He did not know how to use the powers correctly. And he was afraid he was going to do more harm than good. The more I have delved into Torah, the more I have gained a recognition of the superpowers of the Jew. And I have the manual, the Torah, although I cannot learn it quick enough. I cannot acquire the contents to know how to use these powers we have as a Jew quick enough. And I can't take off the suit. The suit is our physical body in this world connected with our Jewish neshama. And one of these powers I'm referring to is our power of speech, especially when it comes to saying a bracha, a blessing in the Hebrew language. I'm going to share with you some ideas that will help you sort of understand why, how I see the gravity of what we do with our power of speech. And I'm bringing on someone that I've been wanting to bring on for a year now, Rabbi Jacobian. And I'm going to propose this theory, and we'll see what he thinks. 
and then let him talk and teach us about the importance of brachas and how to use them appropriately and the necessity of knowing the laws around them. Now, I've shared with you in the past how early on before I found Torah, I used to wake up in the morning and study physics. Why physics? Because I was looking for a subject material that was too complex for me. I was looking for something that would strain my mind early in the morning the same way that lifting weights and running in that second hour of the day would strain my body so they would get stronger. I was looking for something to make my mind stronger in the same way. And the reason this subject material ended up having more gravity to me than just an intellectual pursuit is because as I began to study Torah, I was seeing these same concepts play out again. So one idea in the area of physics is the idea of string theory, which is that what the scientists have discovered is that when they look at the subatomic world and they get past the neutrons and the protons, and they continue to look at each subcomponent of those molecular structures and get deeper and deeper. What they found is that it is not particles at the root of all material creation in this universe. It is simply vibrational frequencies. And through combinations of different vibrational frequencies is what creates everything in this world, which is a concept that when you contemplate it is so fascinating and ties into the Torah in such a deep way. Because it means that everything in this world, in the entire universe, is built off the same minute building block, that of different sequences of vibrational frequencies. This includes not only our physical bodies, everything we see around us, but it also includes our thoughts. Because I know that when they do studies and they put electrodes up to people's heads, that they are able to detect different wavelengths and frequencies that result from different things that people think. Now, how does this tie into Torah? Well, what I learned from reading the Ram Chal, that the binary structure of the world is God's revelation and God's concealment. That is the binary code similar to the binary code that makes all of our technology work. However, in the technology world, the binary code is made up of a electrical signal or no electrical signal. Another book I was reading by the wrong called called 138 Ways of Wisdom, which is a book I put a bookmark in when the when my rabbis in the best den said focus on halacha. But one of the ideas I was reading there was that the way God created the world is through a balancing of chesed, kindness, and din judgment. And then the proper balance based off the recipient of that kindness or judgment. And in the proper balance, it is what creates compassion. So as a, an example, if someone comes to you and says, I'm hungry, I haven't eaten, I need money for food, the compassionate thing to do is to reach into your pocket and freely give of money so they can eat. However, if someone comes to you and says, I need money for another dose of heroin, the dose that could very possibly be that fatal dose, they're reaching into your pocket and pulling out money is not compassionate. They're 
pulling back and holding back is what is most compassionate. And I started reconciling these two teachings of the Ram Chal and realized they're probably one and the same. Because what is kindness is the revelation of God. And what is judgment is the concealment of God. That is the binary code of the world. Now, when a computer program goes into a computer to program and make it do the things that it does, they're not directly manipulating the binary code. They have a programming code that manipulates the binary code. And so what is the programming code of the world that interacts with that binary code of God's revelation or kindness or concealment or judgment? It is the Hebrew language. The Torah says that God created the world with 10 emanations, 10 utterances, and he maintains it as well. The Torah discusses how he created the world with the Hebrew language. The different combinations of those sounds, the different frequencies, that is the source of those vibrational frequencies that the physicists are pondering what is the cause of that. It is the Almighty himself. And when mankind was created, we are called the speaking being. It's through the fusion of a neshama with a body that allows us to speak. To, like our creator, emanate vibrations through the speaking of the Hebrew language. What about the other languages? At the Tower of Babel, all the other languages were created. There were derivations of the original language, the original programming code of Hebrew. And while they do affect creation when we speak, they're not nearly as profound as the original programming code that the Almighty speaks, that of the Hebrew language. So if the creator or infinite internal creator is maintaining the world through the vibrational frequencies of these these utterances, then we are influencing it as well, whether we recognize it or not. We can use our power of speech to destroy the world by saying things that are not true, by speaking Lashon Hurrah. And we harness it in the right way, especially when a Jew says a bracha. As those words leave his mouth in those vibrational frequencies, it is a programming code that is intertwining with that of the Almighty's universe. Right now, I'm working very hard to learn the Hebrew language. I'm very fortunate because Rabbi Abrahams is working diligently with me to make sure that I know how to pronounce every vowel perfectly. Because he knows that if I put in the wrong vowel, I can say the wrong word with a different meaning and bring something else into the world. Are you starting to understand why I'm getting so stressed out about saying these things inaccurately? Something else that's interesting in the area of quantum mechanics is something the scientists have discovered when observing or attempting to observe the subatomic world. And it's called the observer effect, meaning what they learned is that the observer was influencing what it is they were observing. The observer had no independence of what they were observing. By the mere fact that they were observing it was influencing what was being observed. This is our consciousness in this world. We have no idea how the way we view things and interact with things, even at a level of thought, and especially with the level of speech, we're having profound impact on the world. I mean, if you back up and think about it, everything in this world, our body, 
the air, every single thing around us is made up of nothing but vibrational frequencies, then the only two entities that are not made up of that structure and that are influencing it are the Almighty and our consciousness, our Nishama. I hope I got your attention. This is going to be a fascinating episode. I cannot wait to introduce you to Rabbi Yacobian. Stay tuned. We'll be back on the other side, and I believe that when this episode is over, we will all be looking at the world with a much higher awareness of what our powers are, how to harness them, and how we can interact with the world in a positive way to fulfill our responsibility to the Almighty as the Jewish people of being His co-creators in this world. Hold on, guys, because I am going to pull you into this wormhole with me. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Rabbi Yacobian, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you being here, and I'm excited to share you with my audience. Since I've been a part of Torch, and especially now that I've moved into the community, I have so many amazing rabbis, and I realize so many Jews out there do not have access to so, so many amazing rabbis and Torah scholars. So it's just a, a pleasure and joy to be able to share you with everyone. So thank you again for being here. Well, pleasure and honor is mine. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's wonderful what you're doing, and I hope what we do today will be a source of inspiration and strengthening of people's connection, and uh, as you put it so beautifully, make stronger wavelengths. Beautiful. So what do you think of my theory? It's sort of my reconciliation of two different areas of study. I was always seeing these things that sort of reconcile with each other, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that. No, what you said is absolutely correct. Um, they're, They're congruent. I mean, usually people who like physics are people that also like real Kabbalah. Most of the topics, most of the things that you mentioned border or are the concepts of mysticism in modern day language. And of course, the world of Kabbalah is the inner world of Halakha. Kabbalah and Halakha are congruent. Uh, The mystical aspect or the spiritual aspect and the legal aspect are really the same. It's basically, are you talking, uh, as you so beautifully put it, are you talking about the item or are you talking about the the radiation or the waves or uh, the atoms or the quarks that make up that item? So it's the same concept, it's the same thing, but which aspect of it are you focusing on? So what you meant, what you said is very true, and uh, we are way more powerful than we realize. That's what I've learned, as I mentioned, what I recognize, but sometimes, or quite often now, the more I've delved into what I need to do in the halakha and the things you've been guiding me and helping me with, is I feel like that character in that TV show I mentioned. He has a superpower suit. He lost the manual. I have the manual. It's a Torah, but I'm afraid to put on the suit because I, I know that sometimes I'm not present. I'm not cognizant. I'll forget what Barak has to say, or I'll do something wrong, and I'm trying to learn how to, I'm learning how to fix an improper code, you know, from Rabbi Abrams, if I say something incorrectly. But it's a little, it's a little stressful on, on learning these things, but it's, it's at the same time, it's good to know how powerful it is and the impact we can have. Definitely. Yeah, there is a, um, 
balance that one needs to make in between the doctrine of discipline and the doctrine of inspiration. And Torah kind of requires both, for both to be there. You know, sometimes the deeper aspect can actually sometimes turn into idolatry, which happens by many people. They get so swept up by the spirituality of it that the most fundamental aspect of just doing what your obligation is, is forgotten. And you worded it very, very well when you spoke about doing the halakha, understanding the necessities of our responsibilities and our connection to our Creator, and at the same time getting inspired by this amazing, awesome system that the Creator created. Wonderful. So let's let's delve into this. Let's sort of start at a level when it comes to brachas. The way I first understood them was they were designed for us to develop gratitude. On a simplistic level, that is correct gratitude and recognition. Let me just throw in there that it's amazing that the first commandment that humanity was commanded, Adam and Eve, was to eat. So eating is a much more sublime or a much more powerful act of service of God or or rectification than we realize. It's fascinating that in the Garden of Eden, the first commandments that we have is food. And Judaism is very much a religion of food. And we are commanded what to eat and what not to eat, which is the source of all positive and negative commandments. It's also fascinating that the mouth is in the head. One would think that the mouth should be by the stomach. God could have created a creation where one's mouth would be by the stomach and there would be maybe two mouths, one to speak from and one to eat And the fact that both of them come from the same place means that there is something very, very important in the action of separation of the basic fundamentals of creation, which is what chewing and swallowing and digesting. Uh, It's it's more than we realize. The mystical books, the Zohar, the writings of the Ari, and uh, later on, you know, students of the Baal Shem Tov or the Ramchal all have writings about the kavanot or the mindset that one has to have when they are eating more than just making the blessing. But yes, on a simplistic level, the, the, our sage, well, God himself commanded us after we eat bread and we are satiated to make a blessing. In fact, three blessings. Our sages added the fourth. But uh, our sages commanded us to make a blessing before anything that we eat as long as we derive pleasure from it and after we eat also to make an after blessing if we ate the right amount that's fascinating i never thought about that you're right we use our mouth to eat food we use our mouth to speak so talk a little bit about what is happening when we say a bracha because as you said at a very surface level yes it's about gratitude it's important having gratitude is what makes us a vessel to appreciate God and know him, but delve into that a little more for us. So there's two, two aspects I'd like to talk about or two uh, places from which I would like to come. One is the more simplistic, ideological, conceptual, philosophical, and the other one is mystical. But even before I get into the first one, I just want to again reiterate that even mystically, if one forgets that you are doing this because you are commanded to do it, you have taken the carpet from under your feet and the whole system falls apart. And I'll, I'll say the reason for that in a mystical way. Mystically, the connection of all spiritual worlds has to end up with 
the orange of God's light. If one only focuses on the system and not the root of the system, which is God, then there is no light that comes. This is all in order to connect to that to, to God himself or to the light that he allowed us to connect to. So if one forgets that basic fundament that we are fulfilling, we are doing the will of our creator and we are a receptacle. We are the vessel that receives and gives over. We are the moon. In fact, we counted the moon and we are the moon because our light doesn't come from ourselves. Our light comes from God and parables the sun and we get that light we are receptacles but at the same time we also give that light over at night at a time of darkness at a time of confusion which is what this world is the world was created in order that the notion of god's existence and sovereignty be recognized even though there may be a reason to say otherwise in other words to show that what you may have thought that there's other powers is actually God himself. For that to happen, there has to be someone that has the choice to recognize this way or that way. So by us making a blessing, we are fulfilling that ultimate original task, recognizing that everything is in this world, even those the most materialistic items, things that are giving us pleasure to our senses, our physical senses, that is part of the God plan or God's way of bringing about the world to uh, rectification. So philosophically speaking, reason number one is to recognize that everything is God's and comes from God. Legally speaking, and this follows on the train of thought of the philosophical concept, if one doesn't make a blessing, then he has desecrated God's name, and I'll explain why in a second, and he has stolen Sounds like very harsh things to say. But the reason for it is very simple to understand. If one believes in God, then one believes that everything belongs to God. What permission do you have to destroy something that belongs to God, i.e. eating it? So the Talmud says, brings a verse. The verse says that to God is the world and all its content. On the other hand, there's a verse that says that the heavens belong to God and the earth he gave to mankind. So it's a contradiction. Is everything God's or is the land humanity's? So the Talmud brings an answer to this contradiction. One is before you say please, and one is after you say please. So if we ask God for permission, you go to someone's house, I'm sitting here at yours, may I eat something? May I drink this? And you say, of course, go ahead. But if I don't ask you for permission, then I have stolen. So if you're coming from the premise that the world belongs to God, just ask permission before you take something. That permission is expressed in saying a blessing. We recognize that you are the one that created this and gave it to us. Not doing that, how could you take something from someone's house that doesn't belong to you? The concept of the desecration of God's name is if you look at any fruit, if you just take a moment to ponder about a fruit, unbelievable, amazing. It smells enticing, it looks enticing, it tastes enticing. And when it goes bad, it doesn't smell good, it doesn't taste good. Everything in it screams perfection and, and miracles. How it grows, when it grows, the seasonal fruit. It's, it's an unbelievable manifestation of God and His creation. The only right that you have to destroy a manifestation of God's creation is if you make a greater manifestation of 
God being the creator, and that is by you being a person of choice. Using this item that does not have choice to declare that God is the creator of the world, then your recognition is greater than the apple's recognition, and therefore you can consume it for the purpose of declaring that God is the creator, as the apple does. Beautiful. I love that. And I think you're right. I mean, a lot of these concepts I was sort of mentioning can get lead someone astray to where you may begin to think, the reason I want to say the bracha on the apple is because it's going to elevate it and make it better for me. That may be the reason why we are commanded to do it, but the reason why I should do it primarily, fundamentally, is because the Torah commanded me, and that's how I'm showing God that I'm a soldier in his army and a manifester of his sovereignty over the world. But what you mentioned is also a reason, and that's getting into the spiritual aspect. You want to get into that? Let's do it. All right. Just like today, we know that there are very fundamental, um, very basic entities that make up molecules, atoms, and then molecules, and then the item that the items that we have all around us. So too do we are we taught in the books of spirituality, in the books of mysticism, that the whole world is created by an energy or by sparks of energy that hold uh, these atoms or these quarks or these waves together and give them a certain conformity and a certain balance. Now, the ultimate job is to bring all these sparks to their root, to their place where they're all supposed to be gathered and rectified until the final rectification comes where everything will become one again. As we're saying, God will be one and his name will be one. So our job is to really collect these sparks and bring them to their root source. Now that root source is our souls. Being that our souls are created from that divine source, so we are connected to that divine source. So we are trying to connect those sparks to our souls. How does one do that? The blessing, the expression, the words that you express, which is, a, which is using your physical abilities, speech, to recognize what we mentioned before, God's sovereignty and so on and so forth, creates a portal for the spark that exists in the food that you are eating and the drink that you are going to drink to go back to its place. It connects to your soul and enhances your soul. If the blessing was made correctly, if the blessing was made with the right mindset, which is a topic in and of itself. After one gets used to making blessings, the hardest thing is to make them slowly with kavanah because like everything else becomes a habit. So that's a challenge that sometimes people have to overcome to make the blessing understanding what you're doing. The word blessing itself, I'll get back to the spark in a moment, bracha, is written bet resh chaf. And in fact, that's the root, barech which means bless. But it's interesting that the numbers there are all two. Bet is two, Resh is 200, and Chaf is 20. So it's 222. So the number two, conceptually, is the expansion of the number one, which is what blessing actually means. A blessing is the expansion or the overflowing of something. So when we make a blessing over anything, what we are doing is we are creating a overflow of God's light to come onto us as we're making this blessing. When that light comes down, that spark connects to that light which comes into us, and that light gets enhanced, and the light goes back to, again, recharge the spiritual system 
that is up there. Um, the word Beracha is Barech Hey. Bless the Hey. And Hey is the first letter, is the, is the letter of expression. Because the first expression that comes from anyone is a, it's a air, it's a wind, it's, it's, it's the most simplistic um, from inside to outside that we have. So the utterance of God, we are blessing or connecting or bringing down that utterance of Hashem, us representing Hashem and us making that blessing. One of the greatest masters of spirituality, known as the Ari, the Arizal, which pretty much all of Kabbalah today really comes from him after Rabbi Shimon. So the Arizal told his student, his student Rabbi Chaim Vital, which the Ari said that the only purpose that he came to the world was for him. He told him, if you want to attain that high level of spirituality where you are really connected to the spiritual system, you have to be extremely careful about the blessings that you make over food because your spiritual attainment will be enhanced by those sparks of holiness. And if you make those blessings properly, you uplift those sparks of holiness, those sparks of holiness become you, become part of you. They strengthen you and your ability to understand, to discern and to connect becomes bigger. We find this not only in mystical books, we find this in the Midrash. The Midrash says that the Torah was only given to those who ate manna. That means they were able to eat the man, and the man gave them the ability to understand the depths of the Torah. It's like uh, taking a pill, taking a certain drug, a chemical. So there are some things that open up a, per- a person's mind. We all have times that our mind suddenly opens up and our ability to understand and ponder and think and concentrate and contemplate are much stronger than other times. There's, you can attribute it to chemical reasons, and those chemical reasons can be attributed to spiritual reasons. Whether they come from the food or they come from the sh- your, it's the time in which you are, it's Shabbat or it's Svirata Omer or it's Shavuot or it's the days after. There are days that the influence of connection and understanding are greater than others. And there are actions like eating, eating the right foods that can cause a person's spirituality to open up and his physical mind to open up because the spirituality has opened up. Vice versa is also true. If one eats the wrong items or one does not make a blessing, then one can create a, to use new age terms, a portal of darkness, a spiritual cholesterol or anything of the sort, where their connection, their spiritual connection is either diminished or channeled to the wrong spiritual system. You have taken the phrase, you are what you eat, to an entirely new level. So some of these brachas, like the ones, like I, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that biblically we were, what was given to us in the Torah is about the brachas after you eat, right? Only by bread. Only by bread. And then it was the sages that added in the brachas, we say, before we eat. Correct. Why was that set of instructions about saying a bracha before you, which is obviously very important, not given directly in the Torah? Excellent question. So to, to even strengthen the question, the sages only made these enactments after the destruction of the first temple. So the question would be, if I'm going to strengthen it, why didn't they make these rules, if they were going to make them anyway, even earlier on? So the Talmud says that Avraham Avinu learned the whole Torah, even though the Torah wasn't given, from his kidneys. And that's weird. Of all the parts of the body, specifically the kidneys, 
And the answer is a beautiful and, and a uh, profound answer. The job of the kidneys, and we find something similar being said about the liver by other individuals, is to filter. And when we ate from, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge, which is a misnomer, people don't understand what the tree of knowledge was. There is nowhere in the Torah that it says it was the tree of knowledge. The Torah always calls it the tree of knowledge of good and bad. It's never the tree of knowledge. And the word knowledge, we know that it means connection. Literal translation of knowledge is connection. Adam knew Eve, his wife. So knew means connected. Knowledge is connection. There's wisdom, there's understanding, there's connection. So the tree of knowledge of good and bad means the tree of connection of good and bad. Before that, good was good, bad was bad. When they ate from the tree, that is the that is taking a you take a flash drive that has a virus on it, and you connect it to your computer. And that virus basically takes over or connects itself to your program. So now you have to have an antivirus program to take that virus out which is the job of filtering between the program and the virus, which is very much connected to the program. So when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and bad, they connected the notions of good and bad, and they made a mix-up, a mess of good and bad in everything in creation, in all four aspects, which is inanimate objects, objects that grow, the plant world, life, the animal world, and in speech, in those entities that could speak, which is humanity. Good and bad got mixed up in everything. And from then on, we had a twofold job. Job number one, to detox or to take out all the bad, filter. And job number two was to get to the perfected state after we have filtered everything, which was Adam and Eve's job when they were created in the Garden of Eden. The Ramachal brings this down and there Hashem explains this whole... Uh, Events, how, how they unfolded. So the job of the ones who are going to bring the world to rectification, which Avraham Avinu was chosen to be the main person to do that, him and his offspring, which we call the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, Avraham Avinu made it his task to filter. Once you filter between the good and the bad, and you know how to make the right decisions, then the Torah is clear. You know what's good, you know what's bad. So our job later on, or throughout the generations, was to filter. But as bad as it had become, it was still very much fixable. So the only thing that had to be rectified was the tree of knowledge. And through that, everything else would be rectified as well. Now, the tree of knowledge is brought down in the Talmud. There's a couple of things what it is. One of the opinions is that it was wheat. There are four opinions. Wheat, grapes, figs, and the citron, etrog. And it was really a fruit made up of all of them. And that's why we make a blessing over wine all the time. We're trying to rectify. With, with what we messed up, we're trying to fix. But we are also trying to do an act of filtration on wheat. Bread, the Torah commands us to make an after-blessing once we finish eating bread. Once the first temple was destroyed, we took the sin of mixing between good and bad to a new level. We, we made it way worse. At that point we had to go and in detail rectify all aspects and not in a general sense, in a detailed sense. It's like you're helping your child and you're giving him general guidelines. And if he doesn't get it, you hold his hand and you show him, okay, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. So we went to a lower level. And we got to the lower level during the time of Second Temple where Rome and the Western world of atheism were 
or different type of paganism came into play, audacity and lack of uh, honor. So now we have to rectify everything in detail. So blessings for before and blessings for after were instituted. This is in a mystical reason why. In a simplistic reason, if all Israel are together and everyone is congruent in their ideology, the reminders of recognizing God's sovereignty over the world are minimal what is a necessity. Once we're dispersed all over the world and our spiritual level has gone down, at that point, we need reminders all the time. It's like people are so happy about the advancement of technology. But technology has caused us to, to not be able to focus in a, in a way that going back 100 years ago was unfathomable. So we need to have more reminders of God and his connection to the physical world. That's an amazing insight. That makes sense because also, correct me if I'm wrong, but that at the when the first temple was destroyed is also when the Men of the Great Assembly constructed our sitter that we use today. Correct. Because they sort of, my understanding was, they sort of understood where the Jewish people would be going into exile and they needed to equip us before we left the 2,000 years of Torah and the 2,000 years of Mashiach so we would know. So it sounds like all these things were enacted exactly. at the same time for the same reason. Correct. Well, very well put. There is an aspect I didn't speak about. You let me know when you want to mention it. And that's the reincarnation of souls with blessings. Let's do it. Okay. When an individual does not finish his job in this world, so there's a couple of things that can happen. Either they, it's like a person who has an, a physical issue, you either do surgery or physical therapy. Physical therapy hurts more than surgery, but uh, it's not surgery. So this is the concepts of uh, Gehenom or purgatory or reincarnation, Gilgul. Coming back is having to go through physical therapy. You got to go through certain motions. And in fact, focus maybe sometimes on that exact place where you have the pain and work with it. So when we don't finish a job, not when we necessarily did something wrong, even if we didn't do a specific mitzvah the way we need to in order to bring our soul to that level of that standard of perfection. We made blessings, but we didn't make them in kavanah with the right mindset. So then we still may have not finished the job. So if someone did not finish the job, it's very possible and probable that they come back. Their whole soul comes back. Part of their soul comes back. The soul is like an onion, has many layers. It comes back into two people. It comes to one person. This reincarnation is a whole class in and of itself. It's a whole topic in and of itself. Fascinating. But they have to come back. Now, if they did something wrong, which needs to be rectified, usually things that they do wrong between themselves and other people, they also need to come back to rectify that action. But if someone comes back a couple of times and he does not finish the job, or a small minuscule part needs to come back and in God's mercy he doesn't want to bring him back in a reincarnation because he may mess, mess up again. So what, they, what the heavenly court may do is to bring that soul or part of that soul back into food. And when a person makes the right blessing, then they do the act of rectification. And the reason that a blessing is a rectification because the job of the human being is to recognize in all of his faculties and all of his actions and all of his endeavors um, that he is a representative of the Creator. And when you make a blessing, you're making that declaration in words. So when someone did not finish that job and they're brought down in an item of food, when we make a blessing over the food, if there is a soul reincarnated in that food, 
when we have that in mind, that we are going to make this blessing with kavana, we rectify that soul, and that soul does not need to come back again because we did the job for it. If one does not make the blessing or does not make it with kavana, then the person either may not have that uplifting and have to go through the whole ordeal again, or they may go up a, a one, one level higher, like from inanimate objects, from, like, from salt, which is inanimate, from salt to go up to a plant, if the blessing is not made properly. If the blessing is made properly, he, he or she may go from salt all the way up without the need to come back again. So when someone does make the blessing properly, they, they have the ability to rectify the soul to the point that they reach where they need to reach. And in fact, the, the hint to this is in the blessing after things that don't grow, the Borei Nefashot, which literally means, Blessed are you Hashem, our God, Master of the Universe, who has created Nefashot Rabot, many souls or life forces, Veches Ronan, and their lacks. Now, in their lacks, and simplistically means what you're lacking, you need to eat. But in their, in their lacks mystically means, in other words, thank you for creating the opportunity to fulfill their lacks by putting the soul into that object. And that's the next, the next couple of words. For everything that you have created through which you sustain them, or mystically speaking, for everything that you have, to, you have created in order to put life into them, the life of all living beings, blessed be the life of the worlds. So mystically, the blessing means thank you for giving souls an opportunity to rectify themselves even though they didn't put in the ultimate effort, but you gave them an opportunity to rectify by others. So making a blessing is way more than people realize. Way more. Wow. Now I'm extra stressed that when I pass and my soul goes up, I'm going to have a lot of really angry Jewish brothers. Like, why did you mess up that bracha? I was almost done. (laughs) I think we're all in that boat. But that's where Teshuvah comes into the picture. Hashem gave, before the world was created, rectification was created, the the program of rectification was created, that even mistakes that we make, Teshuvah can turn them into a blessing. Okay, so if I do Teshuvah and plead and ask for forgiveness for the brachas I messed up, then... If I had consumed something that had one of my brother's souls in it that needed to be elevated, it will fix it through the teshuva? Possibly, or you will get a second opportunity to fix it again. Okay, amazing. Anything else you want to think would be important to touch on on this subject? I'd just like to mention the importance of pronouncing the letters correctly. If we're talking in a mystical aspect, the pronunciation is very important. And getting used to doing the right, the letters in the right way is extremely important. And of course, understanding what it is that you're saying to the point where it becomes second nature to you, where it's the language that you can express yourself also, is very beneficial that the emotional connection is also there when you make the blessing. The blessing of Shehakol is unbelievable, is awesome. It is one of those blessings that means so much that everything comes about through his word. It can take on the meaning of the food that we are eating, but it can also take on the meaning that what we went through in life, everything came about because of his decree and his word. And when we make a blessing over food and give thanks, we are also giving thanks for everything that we've gone through. Just like this food item is going to go through a lot of separation 
and rectification and everything is what it's supposed to be. So, yeah. Amazing. Rabbi, I appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us on this subject. I knew you would be the perfect person to bring on just based off our conversations as you've been guiding me, inspiring me to learn Hebrew and learn the brachas and, and everything. So I think the audience now has a, a much deeper understanding, the gravity of our speech and learning the brachas. And if any of you listening would like to reach out to me to learn the brachas, I'd be more than happy to get you in contact with one of our rabbis that will provide some one-on-one study for you. So thank you again, Rabbi Yacobian. And I, I know the audience as well appreciates you coming on and talking with us today. Thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate it. The honor and pleasure is mine and hopefully it'll always be a source of inspiration. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.